Welcome to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. If you want to listen to more, subscribe to Sirius XM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Welcome back to America This Week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. I'm Father Matt Malone, Editor-in-Chief of America Magazine. I'm joined by Fathers Eric Sundrup and Sam Sawyer. And we had uh, a really, really great piece uh, by uh, my predecessor and our brother Jesuit, uh, Father Drew Christensen, uh, who is now at Georgetown University and uh, what is uh, was the 13th Editor-in-Chief of America. And uh, he gave us a piece uh, called Why the Vatican's Potential Deal with China is a good thing, and then in in classic Drew Christensen style, laid out <laughs> um, uh, five or six different points um, that that have, that have been really been helpful for bringing clarity to the conversation. And uh, he joins us on the line now from Washington. Hello, Drew. Hi, Matt. Hi, Sam. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Good to be with you. Nice, nice to be back with you in America Radio. Fantastic. So, uh, Father Drew, if you you know, for our listeners who may not know. Uh, first of all, what the situation is in China with the church. If you could just, you know, let us know in a, uh, briefly, like, wh- what what is at issue here, and what is the position of the church right now? Well, the issue is, is the appointment of bishops. That's the first issue. The second is uh, unity between the underground and above, uh, the underground church and the above-ground church, or the unregistered church and the registered church mm-hmm. uh, within China, I think. So there, there really are two issues. Um, uh, in December, there was news that uh, Archbishop Chaley, who for uh, over a quarter century has carried the, uh, the portfolio for, for China and the Vatican since he was uh, Subsecretary of State, um, uh, was, in, was in Beijing to conclude negotiations on the appointment of bishops. And during that process, he called in a couple of underground bishops and asked them uh, to make way for... Uh, or bishops who, who are uh, originally associated with the, uh, the patriotic, so-called patriotic church, um, and uh, one was was well into his 80s, uh, but it was really taken as a, a very uh, strong initiative uh, in the direction of uh, of cr- creating some kind of uh, working arrangements with the Chinese for the appointment of bishops. Now, it has to be understood that. The Vatican and the Chinese government have been working together to appoint bishops for more than 20 years now. Um, it's been on and off, mostly on, but but um, uh, occasionally it, it's been called off for a year or two because of one or another event on uh, either Rome or in Beijing um, when the Vatican uh, canonized some martyrs of the Boxer Rebellion and so on. The Chinese got uppity and decided to break off. The, the arrangements for appointments, and then uh, when a bishop uh, was ordained uh, in Shanghai to take the place of both the, the uh, registered bishop and the unregistered bishop, uh, he immediately announced, uh, uh, renounced his commitment to the Patriotic Association, was locked up for about three years by the by the Chinese authorities, um, and so things fell by the wayside again. But they've been appointing bishops again. So, and, uh, just, so just for our, our listeners who may not know, there there is uh, we basically have a situation where there are two churches in China. Is that correct? Or, no, no, or, no. or, or, or I mean, I know that that's a way, there's a way in which that's right and wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the church itself insists one church in China, 
right. as, as uh, John, 20, uh, John Paul II said, they were church with two faces, uh, the underground and the above ground. But uh, the, uh, the Vatican's now been insisting, I think, uh, since the time of Pope Benedict, that there's really, really one church mm-hmm. in right. China. But uh, there are those who were ordained uh, uh, with the approval of the Chinese and those without, right. and and those without are part of what's called the underground church, the church that re- the Catholics refuse to join a registered church within China. So some of these ordained priests and consecrated bishops were recognized by the Chinese government, and some were not, and that's really what's at issue here. That's what's at issue here, and. Uh, but Drew. Uh, just to clarify for our readers, because we've, we've covered this at other times. We actually, uh, about a year ago, sent a team to China who did some extensive reporting on the situation of the church in China. And one of the things that I found very interesting about that is um, that it, it's pretty common, apparently, for for people, actual Catholics in China, to worship, um, in some cases, both in the underground and the sort of official recognized church. That's right. Right. The situation yeah. on the ground is is much more complex than than the U.S. press generally, and the international press generally makes it out. There's a lot of cooperation, as I said in my piece. Uh, the seminarians go to the same seminaries, which were built by the government, uh, generally, although they go outside the country occasionally. But uh, they also uh, have priests, pastors of the two congregations, they live in the same rectory with the uh, the patriotic church worshiping in the church and the underground Christians worshiping in the church hall. So there's a lot of cooperation uh, that's been going on for a long, long time now. Um, and uh, for 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 a number of years, they've tried now to make joint appointments and, and appointing successors to both the underground, single successor to the underground and the registered bishop so that the, ch- the church community would be unified. So there's clearly an effort there uh, on both part of the the, uh, the Catholic authorities in Rome and and uh, the uh, and the, uh, the communist officials in Beijing to see that there be just one church in China. Mm-hmm. And what has Pope Francis done, and why is it controversial? Well, I th- I think it's what they've done is to ask. Uh, some of these elderly uh, uh, underground bishops to to resign and accept the the appointment, a new appointment to take their place, who would I guess be jointly appointed by by both sides, uh, and thereby uh, heal this rift. Uh, uh, I think the the, uh, the 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 controversy is is kind of twofold. It's between a kind of uh, conservative Catholics overseas who we still hold hold on to a Cold War kind of view of things in China and uh, don't see that the Church has made agreements with Vietnam, with Cuba, with with, uh, with the Church in Eastern Europe where where uh, uh, these kinds of divisions were overcome um, because there was dialogue, and they don't want dialogue. They, they, to deny dialogue is the, is the kind of last resort in trying to show their, their opposition to... Uh, to the Chinese government, and that's part of what the issue is. I think that that, that there's a really political aspect. This is a, there's an expression of political dissent, not just loyalty to Rome, but political dissent from Beijing that goes on by expressing uh, loyalty to Rome. 
Drew, you you said that a lot of that um, sort of argument is coming from overseas, not in China. What's the sense of like the faithful in China? How how do they react to to these types of appointments? Well, I, th- I mean, I I do think it's divided. Um, I think especially among some older people, especially in the countryside, uh, they probably don't understand all this. They don't under- they don't know they understand the outside world. They don't understand what what accommodations the church has made elsewhere, what changes in in uh, Church teaching in relation to church and state and all that kind of thing, um, or or the opening openings that uh, John Twenty Third made to dialoguing with communists, which uh, uh, predates the the origins of the underground church. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so, that's a little before that. Right. Yes, that's right. That's right. So so there's a little bit of, of kind of a, the, the, their their cultural isolation makes it difficult for them, and and their poor position within Chinese society, I think, as well, makes it difficult. I think others, you know, uh, 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 like Cardinal Zinn in Hong Kong, um, represent uh, uh, an outside group that holds on to that that perception that what's distinctive is the loyalty to Rome in the face, in in opposition to Beijing. And so uh, the kind of pillar of their identity is kind of torn out by trying to accommodate with Beijing. But this has been an effort that's been going on now for many years. As I said, joint appointments are going on for more than 20 years. Since since 2007, uh, we've had an effort uh, to, to stimulate unity inside the, the both wings, if you will, of the Catholic Church by uh, Pope Benedict and now by Pope Francis. Uh, and, and the de facto uh, coming together of the Church, where there's been a lot of this kind of interaction that's uh, Sam and yourself have been uh, been mentioning. Yeah, American Catholics will might ask, well, wait a minute, why is the government involved in this at all? And isn't isn't it odd to have the government involved in the appointment of bishops? Uh, but first of all, not everybody has a, an American style arrangement <laughs> for their for their political system. But also historically, uh, governments have been involved. That's right. Historically, governments have been involved, uh, and it's still even some some. Uh, Former uh, uh, city states in Europe, where the, like Cologne, where, the, where the, the canons of the chapter may choose the bishop, uh, that, that may have just ended in the last few years. But there, there was there were some of these holdovers until recently. According to Tom Reese in a recent column on Rich Newton Service, there's still ten countries in which uh, who have a say of one kind or another in the appointment of bishops, uh, and so the the, the the Vatican is engaged with them in in in, in that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would be just, you know, they'd have different structures, but, but the, you know, there are places where the government still has a say in this. Well, and let's also not forget that it wasn't too terribly long ago that the church thought that it had a say in who got appointed to, you know, be a king or <laughs> run their country. <laughs> right. So like, right. there's a kind of re- reciprocity here. That's right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and uh, I, I think the, the, the key issue here is, is whether... Uh, whether the, the situation of, Christ, of Catholics can be made better by this kind of arrangement, and it seems to me that uh, policy is, has thought that that the the unity of the Church and the improvement of the conditions of religious liberty in China depend to some extent by being able to have this kind of relationship with the government, and ultimately to have a normalization, at least to the extent of having a, uh, an abstract nuncio in China would be able to report on the situation and intervene. One of the things I commented in my column was that 
we don't hear about all the divisions in the underground church and the turmoil internally in the underground church, the rivalries and so on. And and uh, uh, one thing that Pope Benedict was trying to do uh, with his letter of 2007, that it was many years in, in the preparation, was to, to create create the conditions of greater unity. But there was always the conviction we can't really fix this till we get our men on the ground. And so by having their their being able to make the appointment of people that they trust as bishops, even if they also have people who are trusted by the Chinese, um, uh, is one step in that direction. And the further direction would be the appointment of, of Nuncio. I don't see that coming soon. I think with uh, uh, Xi Jinping uh, getting absolute control over that country, which is hard to imagine a country of more than a billion people, but nonetheless, that they're going to they're going to ease up on the church. But Certainly, that's one of the things that they've been talking about. I don't know about diplomatic relations, but but that's kind of in the picture for how the church would be able to uh, kind of improve the conditions for religious liberty. Right. Be able to have a, have a nuncio on the ground. Drew, delegate delegate on the ground. We, we've talked a lot about sort of the you know um, the the moving diplomatic pieces and the official pieces in terms of recognition by you know, the Vatican or recognition by the Chinese government. But uh, one of the things that you also point out as a significant hope here and one of the great motivations for Pope Francis is um, the the opportunity and uh, the openness to have the church um, better enculturated uh, in China. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to what that hope is and how that, um, how that possibility is motivating um, Pope Francis and the Vatican to try to normalize these relations. Well, that's a bit of a two-edged sword, but uh, <laughs> let me make a stab at it. The first, the first part is that uh, uh, for centuries, uh, and you can ask the Irish about this, uh, uh, the Latin Church has been trying to create unity in, in, through the notion of kind of structural and uh, even cultural un- uniformity within the Church. So, And we had that in Slovakian too, when liturgy went into different languages, and then... Uh, Develop into div- bishops' conferences with different pastoral policies and so on. And then Francis has come on talking about uh, the possibility of different kinds of disciplines in different areas of the world. Uh, but most, what's important here is his understanding that that uh, that the gospel takes different forms in different cultures. And I think for that reason, he's sympathetic to a demand that the Chinese have been making to sinicize religion, that is, to have religion with with, the, with Chinese characteristics. And, you know, Francis being a Jesuit who has part of his tradition, uh, Matteo Ricci and uh, Valignano and the great Jesuit missionaries of the, of the uh, uh, 16th and 17th century, it seems to me uh, has a sense that that's a possibility in China to, to show this forth. On the other hand, we know that part of what the government means by sinicizing. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. Not always what we mean. Is, yeah. is, is, uh, uh, acquiescence to hierarchical authority, and uh, as they made clear even yesterday, you know, absolute <laughs> obedience to to the Communist Party. Right. Uh, and uh, that may not be so comfortable. I know in working with uh, on, on, in some indirect uh, discussions with Chinese, I was quizzed rather closely about Catholic social teaching, and so they're aware that there's a there's a, a revolutionary uh, potential in Catholicism as there was with liberation theology and. The, 1970s, 80s, and early 90s uh, in the Western Hemisphere, and then then through Asia. So uh, they're aware of that. Uh, on the other hand, um, I think that 
they prefer working with the kind of structural unity of the Catholic Church as opposed to the um, the populist uh, spread of evangelical Christianity in in the uh, in the house churches where right. there is no control. Yeah, at all. different Protestant church on every block. And... Yeah, exactly. Those Protestant churches may number sixty thousand people. Right. Mm. You know, I mean, besides <laughs> the diocese. Well, you could probably assuage some of their anxiety if you pointed out to them the number of conservative Americans who say Catholic social teaching is communism. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had uh, just uh, in this comic kind of response to the situation with uh, Bishop uh, Sanchez Saranda saying that, that China was a paradigm, a paradigm of Catholic social teaching. We all aghast. Well, this may be, you know, the, one of the great practical tests of the Jesuit maxim of, you know, going in by their door and out by your own. Right. Um, That's right. <laughs> well, as, as both the Vatican and the Chinese Communist government are attempting that maneuver from, you yeah, know, from different the, angles, from from different, different angles, but the same door. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, Drew, I, I, I'm intrigued. We talked. You mentioned real briefly the history there with Matteo Ricci and what was going on in, in culturation. I think it would be really helpful for listeners to go a, a little more into that. And this controversy about how enculturation should work is not a new thing. Uh, the, the, you know, there were there were discussions in the church about this when the missionaries there were there in the 16th and 17th centuries as well. And I'm I'm also fascinated about this because. Um, my sister-in-law is uh, from outside of Beijing, and and she took me to see Matteo Ricci's grave. Oh, you you've been privileged to be there. Wow. Yeah, which is in the middle of a communist college. Well, it's, it's the part the party school of the, of the city of Beijing. Yeah, see, so yeah, you yeah. know this much better than me. It was it was just an amazing experience uh, for that. But I, but I think a little bit of that history could be helpful because my sister-in-law, who's basically not affiliated with any religion, knew all about Ricci. Oh yeah, well. Ricci still, uh, and the Jesuits generally, I mean, yep. uh, are, are honored as, the 17th century Jesuits, honored as, as the Westerners who really respected China. Uh, and the Chinese, and, and uh, Xi among them, uh, regard, regard China as a civilizational state. And uh, what, what, mm. what uh, Ricci recognized was the, that they were a high culture, and they ought to be respected as, as a high culture. And so he learned their ways, and, and the Jesuits entered in by, by uh, becoming part of their culture, and to the point that uh, someone like uh, Adam von Schall became the head of the Calendrical Institute, which was uh, equivalent to being um, uh, the prime minister at the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they really became part of the culture, though the, they, didn't, they didn't convert the court. Uh, they were allowed, that made room for other people to go and proselytize among the people and so on. Um, and Verbiest, uh, 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 the Belgian Jesuit, was the tutor to the Kangxi Emperor. And uh, there, there's a very important relation. Kangxi Emperor became what the Chinese call a cultural Christian or cultural Catholic. He wrote poetry about, about uh, the life of Christ and so on. Um, and uh, he was involved in what was so called Chinese rites. Uh, uh, controversy. Controversy, yeah, yeah, I guess, the... is the word I was looking for. But. He, um, uh, the, the, the Chinese rights controversy was uh, a, a controversy over whether they they could adapt certain rights that were common to Chinese, like veneration for ancestors and uh, 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 certain kind of uh, Confucius Confucian practices that were considered part of the social order and so on, and so forth. And um, the Kangxi Emperor wrote a letter to Rome defending them. 
defending the Jesuits' interpretation of Confucius as a philosopher rather than as a theologian, and and then eventually traveled to Rome himself, mm. uh, as I recall the story, to make representations on behalf of the Jesuit interpretation of of these rites as as, as being permissible because they were not they were not worshiping another god or another system of, of, of saints or anything of that sort. Um, but they eventually suppressed by 1740 was the last date, but they begins in like 1709, 1723, I think, and then 17. So it was not the it was not the the Jesuit interpretation that won out in the end, no, not, and the no, Jesuits left China, point. right? But right, the Chinese right. still venerated them, and there were statues of of uh, Li, uh, what do they call them? Li Madu is the name that they call Ricci. I was waiting for you to come up with it because well, I was not coming <laughs> up with that. I was also going to say it was not the Jesuit interpretation that won out in that end. Right. Yeah, but you know there might be another end coming. Well, it may, be, it may be coming out now. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's right. But certainly, you see it. I think you see it very much in in Francis's understanding of of the gospel taking a new shape in each culture. I mean, I think that's just in in, in his uh, apostolic exhortation, uh, uh, the joy of the gospel. I think that's very. It's a, it's a really uh, uh, central kind of tenet of his that I think we need to we need to look at very closely. Yeah. And the Chinese, I think, can appreciate that. They also appreciate that he's in that tradition and therefore respects their culture, and that may make a difference in being able to get into China. But on the other hand, there is this, this tremendous need on the part of, of the Communist Party and the Xi for absolute control. And so it's hard to imagine that while they're loosening up on everyone else, they're going to open up just a little bit for Catholics. Yeah, and, and, and when we're talking about China, there's always... On other hand, on yeah. the other hand, right, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So the piece is called "Why the Vatican's Potential Deal with China Is a Good Thing." It's by Father Drew Christensen, uh, who is a distinguished professor at Georgetown University and the thirteenth editor in chief of America. Uh, Father Drew, thanks so much for being with us. You're welcome. Good to be good to be chatting with you all. All right. Anytime. Hello to my fellows there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> all right. Take care, Drew. Hey, bye now. Uh, you know, I was actually an associate editor working under Father Christensen when the letter came out in 2007 from Pope Benedict about the, co- the, about the, uh, the church in China. And uh, I remember Father Drew bringing it to my office at American saying, this is important. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so um, now we know why. But that was one step in a journey of a thousand miles, right? Um, well, but it also makes right. you wonder, so like, what would have happened? Later, that's, that's prompt for the right. church. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it, I mean, this matches up. We, in the earlier part of the um, um, radio show, we were, we were talking about styles of evangelization, right. and it, it ties right into what's going on in the, in the ways of going about evangelization that are being pursued and the, the tensions, that, the very real tensions that these create. And very real consequences they have with governments and everything else that's going it on. It makes you wonder, uh, though, what would have happened if we had stayed in China. I think it would be a very different... Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe that's so. prideful on our part. Um, We'd be different. I don't know. I, I mean, imagine Jesuits we would aren't be known for pride. So. Really? Oh, I hadn't heard that. <laughs> We're the most humble order in the entire world. <laughs> that's exactly right. No, uh, it, but it does make you wonder, you know, what would have happened. And, uh, uh, and Father Drew made mention of the the evangelical Protestant churches that uh, are, are making headway in China. And, um, you know, a lot of that has to do, the speed uh, and impact of that movement has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, they're not an international church with a hierarchy and a right. priesthood. So um, we're... Well, they're, you know, they're so harder to control <clears> too. <throat> like if you want to, if you if you're used to a hierarchy system where right. you find the person to speak to about what's happening, 
that's going to be a right. that system that they're running is going to really make the government concerned. And very soon, uh, you know, China will be the, uh, the the largest Christian country on earth. Right? right, it will have more Christians mm-hmm. than any other country, despite and being a distinct minority among the it, Chinese despite population. Despite being itself. a distinct minority, exactly, and uh, and all the more reason than why this this question has to be figured out. So you've been listening to America this week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM one twenty nine. You can find uh, links to all of the stories that we've been talking about today at americamagazine.org forward slash Sirius, uh, where you can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, and uh, uh, I'd like to thank Father Eric Sundrup and Father Sam Sawyer for joining us here on this very snowy day. Uh, we we promise it won't be an all Jesuit prod. <laughs> we won't be an all Jesuit broadcast every week, but it's kind of fun to do every now and then, uh, particularly when the weather outside is frightful. And to subscribe <laughs> to America, uh, you can call one eight hundred six two seven nine five three three. That's one eight hundred six two seven nine five three three for a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. I'm Father Matt Malone. Thank you, and good day. Thank you for listening to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. If you want to listen to more, subscribe to Sirius XM. And tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.